1: Deep Inside you, there's a power. A power you can use to meet every challenge, every roadblock, conquer every obstacle life throws at you. A power to be happy, fulfilled, successful. A power to be everything you want to be. Now, meet the man who wrote the book on human behavior. The The man who can teach you how to unleash your own power to be. Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Flint.
2: Hey, welcome, Richard Flint. And I want to welcome you to The Power to Be. If you've been joining us, you know that this is a show that's designed to help you find the path uh, that takes you forward in your life. You know that I've said this several times. There are only two directions for a human life. You either go in circles. And those circles are always based in the confusion that you keep feeling around your life. Are they based in clarity? And the path that's based in clarity continues to take you forward. My challenge has always been that people who choose confusion then have all these questions about why their life is a mess and why their life is upside down and why they can't seem to get anything done they want to get done. Well, it's all because you've made a choice. You have a path, and you define that path each day with the choices that you make. And I'm here to help you face the path, keep your design focused on moving forward, find your strengths, and develop them and create a life that brings you three of the greatest things I think you can ever have a sense of happiness, uh, fulfillment. And the freedom to live your life as the authentic you. You know, over the years, it's been interesting because I've had the privilege of speaking to many sales-driven organizations, and, and I I don't I don't know about you, but I find the world of selling to be a fascinating world. You understand that every aspect of life operates around the the world of selling. We're all salespeople. every conversation you have where you're presenting an idea is a sales situation. You know, every product is based in a sales situation. Every idea you try to give to somebody is based in a sales situation. Even the world of dating and, and a marriage proposal is all a sales situation. And no matter what you're involved in, in some way it's connected to the world of selling. And today, this show is dedicated to all of you who have chosen the world of selling as your career, not as a job, but as a career. And my guest today is one whom I consider to be one of the top international sales trainers in the world. I feel like I've known David Knox for most of my life because we really started Our speaking careers together. And we have shared the platform in so many different places, uh, here in the States, even over in Australia. And every time I've shared the platform with him, I've learned so much from his mind. And my respect for him, if you knew me, you know there are not a lot of people that gain my respect because I don't think most people are genuine. I think they, they, they play a game with their self and with people. But David is not one of those people, and my respect for him is over the top. I find him to be a no-sense guy whose sales wisdom has taken many, many, many salespeople to levels they didn't even believe that they could reach. And he's joining us today from the wonderful world of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hey, David welcome to our
3: show. Thank you very much. It is a pleasure to be on this broadcast. Thank you for those kind words. Yes, you and I go back a long way. And as far as selling goes, I've been selling since I was, oh my gosh, I don't know, 16 or something. And uh, my whole life has been involved in selling, and now I get the opportunity to teach it as well. And uh, one of my first lessons, I remember I was working in an assembly line at 3 m one summer uh, doing a uh, Uh, assembly line kind of deal. And, you know, you could punch out at 4.55, or you could get to the punch clock at 4.55, and then you could start punching out at 5. Well, we had a bunch of college kids, and we were hitting a record for the number of units that could be produced that day. I think uh, there were pallets of 25, and we had the fifth pallet ready to go, and uh, the buzzer rang, and all of a sudden the factory got quiet, and all these guys ran as fast as they could because they wanted to get in line. They needed to be there by 455 because, they, gosh, they don't want to check out late. <clears throat> Meanwhile, we're right across from the time clock, and we're a bunch of college kids, and we're like still going. We're cranking them out, and these guys look over and it's like, dude, what are you doing? And I'll never forget, one guy looked over at me and he said, hey, you don't get paid for sweat around here. And that line stuck with me, that was 1969, and I thought of that attitude, you know, that you don't get paid for sweat, God forbid, you would actually do something over and above what was required of you, gosh, you'd work another minute over your punch, I thought. That was an attitude I hope never to have in my life, and fortunately I've always been the opposite of that. And maybe you don't get paid for sweat at that particular job in that particular place, but boy, I sure learned you do get paid for it when you are in charge and you're taking care of your own life. so that's kind of the fundamental principle I have about selling is, you know, it's really going to be up to you. So that's kind of where I come from, Richard.
2: Well, David, I, I, probably several of our listeners do not know who David Knox is. So tell us a little bit more about you and about what you do and and how you do it and how long you've been doing it.
3: Well, I started uh, my sales career, my real professional sales career in real estate in, you know, 72 and uh, sold homes and I was Horrible, horrible for those first three years. If any of you saw the movie The Animal House, that was my background. So I had to dig myself out of the college drinking, partying. And and it took me a while to get serious about my life. So I went through being 30 pounds overweight, 17,000 in debt in a year when I only made $3,500, and went through some pain of you know dealing with, um, you know, people used to say I had a drinking problem and say, What do you mean? I get drunk, I fall down, no problem. I used to joke about it, and finally I realized it was an issue and decided to deal with it and got involved in AA and treatment. That was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me, and I'm sure of all your listeners out there, everybody, you know, not everybody, but many people have issues with addiction and compulsion and things that get in the way of our lives, and I was pleased to have dealt with it at age 26. And then I went on to be, you know, a good salesperson. When you're sober, you can really sell a lot, I discovered. (laughs) And then... (laughs) I did well enough where they said, well, would you like to be doing a training class? So I did a training class, taught new realtors how to get started, and I kept doing it over and over and over again. And, uh, and I enjoyed it so much that I went on to be the national training director for Merrill Lynch Realty based down in Stanford, Connecticut. Then I was a uh, national instructor for the National Association of Realtors. And then in 87, I started my own business. I focus primarily on real estate, but I end up speaking to mortgage bankers and title companies, and I've had a lot of people come into the seminar and say, you know, 90% of what you presented works in any sales industry, and I think that's true, and whether it's whether it's romance, toasters, cars, whatever, every time I talk to salespeople, there are some fundamental principles that work in every sales organization, and... Uh, <clears throat> I actually think it's important to listen to people in other sales just to get a different perspective. So I travel—I don't know—I've done thirty-three hundred seminars in fifty states, eight provinces, and eleven countries, as I know you have. So now I teach salespeople, and um, that's where I am today.
2: David, I know when you and I—you uh, and I talked—and I asked you about being a guest on my show. We talked about ten tips that you would offer salespeople, but I want to I want to go to those quite yet. When when you look at your sales career, and you look at some because you've worked with some very very dynamic salespeople, when you look at them, what behaviors do you find are are really key behaviors that that separate. Those who have the job in selling and those who have a career in selling. Are there certain behaviors uh, that you
3: see? Sure, the two that come to mind. First is love of the job. They really do enjoy it. They they find fun in it. It's. Um you know, one of the top salespeople in realtors in America, one of the top realtors, you know, I often uh, describe him as a kid on an Easter egg hunt. You look on the lawn, you see Easter eggs as far as the eye can go, and you just can't <laughs> stop. You can't stop just pe- picking them up because there's another one out there, and that's why he keeps going and going. <laughs> and, of course, other people have the belief that there's no Easter eggs out there, and they don't even bother. But he, he enjoys his job. So I think love of the game is something that happens. Fall. So I guess for your listeners, if you're selling something you don't like or in a job you don't like, get out. I mean, my gosh, there's so many ways to make money on the planet that you shouldn't be experiencing pain. So there should be a fundamental love of the job and a belief in the product and the company and everything. So that would be a a fundamental thing. The second thing that is pretty much universal that without this, I don't think anybody goes anywhere, and, and that's into personal responsibility slash initiative uh you can do you know there's so much talk about the wealthiest one percent and everybody else and i'm not going to try to get political about it but if i take a look at the sales industry and real estate i see the top one or two percent and everybody else the top one percent they take initiative they're personally responsible for the life they don't blame the market they don't blame the broker they don't blame their parents they don't blame anybody else they just get off their aspirations and go prospect they go do things they they do stuff and um and i don't know where that initiative comes from some some people have it some people don't and if you got it you'll do well if not you know maybe maybe they need a job where somebody else takes the initiative on their behalf but i think if you're in sales you better take it and uh, i know the top Mercedes car salesperson here in Minneapolis and uh, I had dinner with him the other night. I said, Larry, how much how much time do you spend dealing with, you know, the up calls, the walk ins that come into the dealership? He says, I'd say about he says, about five to ten percent of my business are walk ins. Five to ten percent? Seriously, where are the rest? He goes, All mine. You know, he goes out and takes initiative and makes calls.
2: So there's a there's a lot to be said about discipline?
3: As a well, and, you know, discipline to me, yes, there's times in our life we need discipline, but if you've got to live your whole life on discipline, you're going to be a really, really unhappy, painful, uptight, wrapped-up, messed-up human being. Uh, living your life on discipline is like driving your car on the starter. Discipline should be enough to, you know, get you out of bed and get you started. After that, it should be self-motivation. Discipline is a very short-term um, motivator. Um, and I... <laughs> I hope never to live on just discipline because I don't have too much of it.
2: Well, you know, one of the things that you and I get asked a lot, um, are you going to motivate me? I mean, in your world, can you really motivate people?
3: I think you can, to a certain degree, inspire and bring out of people that which is already there. And, um, you know, I look at my life. And, you know, I could have really gone off the deep end back in my drinking days. And if I didn't have people who inspired and motivated and confronted and gave me feedback and held up the mirror, so to speak, gosh, I don't know where I would have been. And on my website, I've got a list of 25 or 30 mentors, people who have helped me grow, from parents to bosses to friends. So we can't do it alone. I think you need somebody else in your life. And I I think it is possible to motivate another human being or inspire or educate, not clearly, they gotta <clears throat> both people have to be in the room, so to speak, the motivator and the motivatee. And given that, yes, absolutely. Well,
2: one of the things I found is that, you know, the support group you have around your life, just like what you were talking about, is so absolutely critical. Uh because the wrong people take energy from you rather than help you recharge your energy level. And you know, what about what about the people you put around your life?
3: Well, I, I guess one of the things that comes to mind, uh, you know, for me personally, was when I quit drinking. You know, I would I would go back to different parties or bars or whatever, and I would look around, and everybody was sober. And I talked to these guys, I said, "What did everybody else quit drinking too?" I said, "No, it was just you and those five guys over there that were drinking." <laughs> and uh, so I realized it was a small group of people that I was, you know, parting with, and then. You know, a lot of those people were very threatened when I quit drinking, you know, because now they had to look at their own. So I could not surround myself with the people who were s- still drinking. And I think in sales, it's pretty easy to find the, the people who are saying, oh, that's never going to work. This isn't going to happen. And I think it's pretty easy to get caught up in that. And um, I would prefer to surround myself with people who are, you know, positive and supportive. And supportive can be also calling you on your stuff. You know, I've got guys who call me on that, and I appreciate it. So, I, yeah, I think who you surround yourself with is really important
2: so what what motivates David Knox? What causes you because you 've been doing this for years, and so have I, and people keep asking me, well, you know when are you when are you going to have had enough of this and so, what gets David Knox out of bed
3: oh man that 's a good question. Uh, I think over the years. So, obviously, speaking in front of a group of people is a lot of fun, and the travel is fun, and I guess that's the part that, that I really enjoy. And You know, we shoot, I don't know, I've got 400 different videos we've produced, and I enjoy writing, scripting, lighting, shooting, editing. I like all of that. Uh, I, I'll be honest with you, even though this is a, a talk on sales, I don't like the sales part of it as much. I don't, um, and probably because I'm selling to a group of people who it's very, very challenging to get them to part with the money. And, uh, and I find that challenging. I do it. I mean, I do it. And I guess that's the part of my job that takes the discipline. Uh, but clearly, you know, I enjoy having a nice lifestyle. So certainly I've been money motivated. I have been motivated by helping really good agents. And I've been motivated by having my own business doing what I want when I want. So, uh, you know, so it goes back, I guess, to the love of the game. And uh, I've got to motivate myself. I've got to take my own initiative. So, and you know, I, I confess there's days I don't want to.
2: But. Well, I understand that, there because for me, the world we live in today and with what we do, the hardest aspect for me today is the travel part of it, because yeah. travel has just become torturous. Yeah. I mean, I look, at my, I look at my travel schedule so far this year, and with U.S. Air, I've already surpassed what you've got to do to reach their highest level. And, yep. you know, and uh, I look at that and there are days I'm sitting on an airplane and I ask myself, why in the world are you doing this? <laughs> yeah. A- and then you, you get an email from somebody and telling you, you know, just one little thing that you said and what it meant to them. Sure. And then the, cr- the creative aspect, because you're one of the most creative people I know. I'm Next to me, of course. But, <laughs> Thanks, Richard. Thank yeah, you. You're one of the most creative people I know and you keep... You keep fresh and you keep things moving forward, uh, which means you got to spend a lot of time in your own personal growth.
3: Yes, very much so. Um, you know, I uh – Oh, by the way, I want to finish up on one other thing that motivates me, and that is that I am unemployable. <laughs> 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 and uh, and I've called my audiences, especially real estate agents, independent contractors, say, I said, you might as well love this game because you are unemployable, and they look at me like I'm being mean to them. And I said, all right, what do you think I mean by that? And what I mean is, you want to be independent. You want to be free. You don't want to be forced to be employed by somebody. Now, I realize a lot of the listeners may be employees, but still, as a salesperson, you've got a degree of freedom. Um, but in terms of taking care of myself, I took a great course called Achieving Your Potential from a guy named Lou Tice with Pacific Institute great back guy. in
2: 78. Just a great guy.
3: Yeah, he was great. He passed away a few years ago. as yes. he went. And um, but I really focused on affirmations, writing down first-person present tense sentences in affirmation form on three-by-five cards, and um, you know, as a way of programming my subconscious mind and vision to see what it is I want. And I have always had in my mind an image of what I'd like my life and business to be, and I try to keep focusing on that. And, uh, you know, I've gone through my share of self-help books and a million other things. And I actually look back at going through AA, uh, really learning some fundamental life principles that apply to anybody, regardless of, you know, what their life is.
2: Yeah. Hang on right there, David. We, we need to take a little break. Um, so we're going to continue our discussions with David, and we're going to get into his top 10 tips. If you're in the world of sales, you need to hear these. Stay right there. We're going to be right back.
1: My name is Gary Gunn, and I've been uh, listening to Richard every morning probably for about six months now. And he's my partner, and he puts the soul back into my life every day. And if you're not taking the morning minute, you sure need to do it. It
4: starts my day every day. I look forward to it, and I recommend it highly for anybody that doesn't have it. You should have it. Sometimes I just kind of think about what it says, and then I realize it really does have something to do with my life every morning of every day. We love the morning minute. It's just a blessing to our lives to be able to give
1: us a great thought to hang on to all day long. Just the morning minute for us it just kind of sets the day for us. That's where we really like it. The Richard Flint Morning Minute, in your email. Email inbox every single morning. You can try it for 21 days absolutely free. The Richard Flint Morning Minute could make your day. Call toll free 1 800 368 8255 or go to www.richardflint.com and get the Morning Minute.
4: A mentor is much more than a coach. A mentor is a personal thing, one-on-one. He's got your back. He's there to ask the right questions at the right time so you can make the right decision. Richard Flint knows you stumble through your life at times. No clear direction. Life seems to overwhelm. You don't seem to be able to focus. Or, heaven forbid, you don't even care anymore. That's when you need Richard Flint by your side. On your side. 24 7 it can happen for a lot less than you think pick up the phone and call 1-800-368-8255 1-800-368-8255 ask for denise you make the choice always it's not what happens to you it's what you make happen mentoring with richard flint it's a personal thing
2: Hey, welcome back. We're talking about the world of selling today and the world of, of really reaching inside you because I, I think uh, a true salesman is a person who really believes that they can make a difference. Uh, and the conners are the people who just see people and take advantage of them. But to me, a real salesperson is a person who works to bring value. And 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 David, one of the things I see, and I'd really like your thoughts on this. And then we're going to our top tips. That a really true salesperson would rather work on commission than salary.
3: I would agree with that. Uh, if they really believe in their ability to sell, I think that would be true.
2: Yeah. All right. I asked David if he would uh, if he would put together for us. Uh, what he would consider uh, the top ten tips from his perspective for selling. So we're going to walk through these ten, and if you got a piece of paper and a pencil, you write these down because these are these to me are very, very, very important. David, the first tip you sent uh, before to
3: me, you give the first tip, I want to ask him a question to kind of get it into it. How's that?
2: Let me think. Okay.
3: Uh, go, do, you, do you have something else you want to say? No,
2: no, I'm no, no. I'm, I'm joking with you. Go ahead.
3: Okay. Uh, for all the listeners out there, here's what I want you to do to get into my tip number one. I'd like you to think of the last time that you – know, think of some recent times where you bought a major product from somebody. It could have been a car, washer, dryer, house, whatever. I want you to think about a time that you bought something uh, from a bad salesperson. And, Richard, I'll ask you that, too. Think of the last time you bought something, uh, but you ended up buying it from a bad salesperson salesperson.
2: Okay. So our right. our first tip then is being good versus no, versus... don't
3: don't wait, wait. wait. I got to ask the question. Sorry, Richard. Okay.
2: Last time <laughs> I, I bought something,
3: to, I want people to come to this conclusion in their own. My second question is why? For those of you who bought from a bad salesperson, my question is why did you buy from a bad salesperson? So, Richard, first of all, did you buy what did you buy from a bad salesperson?
2: Hmm. Uh do you think a person at the front desk of a hotel would be a salesperson?
3: Well, not in the not in the way I'm looking at it. They're more of a service person. You've already bought the hotel. It's not like they're going to sell it to you. But a product or service where you had a choice of where to buy it.
2: Uh, all right. I'm going to have to think about that one because
3: well. Um you know, when I ask this in audiences, people come up with, well, I bought a car, a washer, dryer, a stereo or something. And I said, "Uh, so tell me about the sales. Oh, he's really bad. He's really bad. And I said, well, why did you buy from a bad salesperson? And they'll say, well, I really wanted the product. And I said, I know that, but why did you buy the product that you wanted from a bad salesperson? And the audience kind of thinks for a second, they come up and say, well, I don't know. They were the only one there. So my first tip is if you can't be good, you have to be there. And frankly, being there is really how you get paid in sales. Now, I'm not suggesting You know, increased income through incompetence. I am not suggesting that people be bad. But if I get a group of salespeople who are marginal but fearless and a group that are really good but don't want to make prospecting calls, we know who's going to make the money. Uh, Any business that you look at, being there is as important as being good. Why do you buy fast food? Is it good? No, but it's there. Why do you pay so much for water in your hotel room? Is it any better? No, but it's there. Why do we elect some of the people in America? Are they good? No, but they're there. We've heard of them. So being there is my first tip. And I don't know where there is for everybody. Sometimes it's personal, internet, advertising, uh, event, you know, events and for past clients or customers, but you gotta decide to be there now. Also, you need to be good. In fact, it was interesting. Apple Computer was really good, but they weren't there, and they only had you know a small percentage of the market. And then they decided, you know what? Maybe we ought to be there. And they opened up Apple stores, and that just my gosh, lines around the block. So that's a good example of a good product finally being there. So that goes back to my first point of uh, of this whole interview is um, taking the initiative
2: to be there. David, do you think there's a difference between uh we purchase something because we need it and we purchase something because we want it?
3: Oh, I think it's nuanced. Uh I think something is a need if you can justify it. Um so I I guess a need is a want justified. You know, when I bought a sports car I claimed I needed it. Well, I really wanted it, but I uh <laughs> I could find a way to justify it. So um and I suppose we could debate the nuance of that, but typically as a want is something you really could live without you'd be have more satisfaction by buying it and um,
2: do you think i have do you think people have less patience when they're buying a need rather than a want
3: good question i you know I, I don't know I think it's almost more personality driven okay. you know if you take somebody you know the four behavioral styles, you take the analytical this person definitely needs something, but my gosh, they'll spend you know months researching it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though they need it, they will spend a lot of months, whereas the expressive or the driver style they will just buy it and go, hmm, that wasn't right for me.
2: Okay. And the fourth style?
3: Uh, So we have amiable. Oh, I love houses and I love people. We have expressive that are just kind of explosive, and, you know, when they walk in the room, you know it. Uh, The analytical, which is the person, if you... Tell them the time. They'll ask you, how do you know?
2: <laughs>
3: and then the driver, who's kind of the bulldog, uh, just wants it his or her way. And those are the four, four styles. And, by the way, part of selling, I think, is to be, you know, knowing which kind of style that person is. The analytical is going to need a lot of information, facts, and documentation. Uh, the driver, just get to the point. In fact, just close on him. He's <laughs> probably ready to buy before you are ready to sell. The amiable, they have to like you and they have to love you and you have to build, build up that deal.
2: David, can you find people who are both there and good?
3: Oh, absolutely. And those are the people who rule the sales world. Um, But I hate to say this. It's... (laughs) Late-night infomercials, that's the classic example of being there. But some of that stuff is just not good. <laughs> but it's there. You know, and you check out of a grocery store and all the worst stuff, gum and candy and junk like that, it's right there. <laughs> yeah. So given the choice, unfortunately, there wins. And, <laughs> But I don't want anybody on this call going, hey, I'm just going to really be bad, but I'm going to show up more, <laughs> you know. But, you know, good salespeople, in fact, it's ironic is a lot of the good salespeople go, oh, gosh, I'm so good. At, I'm just undignified to prospect. I don't have to do that anymore. So it almost backfires. So being good and theirs, that's obviously the best.
2: My mind's, my mind's just racing with this. And, and one one more thought. In the world of good versus there, which one of those two do you think generates the most repeat and referral business?
3: No question about it, quality is going to get the repeat business. Okay. But you know, I can argue that point a different way. I work with people who want to go back to past clients and customers. Uh, number one source of business is the past customer and client. Everybody knows that. It's easier to get, you know, keep the good ones and get new ones, and we know that. But uh, who goes back? And calls their past customers and clients and asks for repeat business or referrals. So this is an example of where you were good. They really like you, but you don't. But you're not going back to be there and call them up and send them notes and have client appreciation parties. You know, uh, Delta met me at the gate at LAX with a car to drive me from Terminal 5 to Terminal 6. Um, and I still talk about that, and they took good care of me. So I say nice no, things about Delta. I'm a diamond, an you know, over-five-star, platinum, Jubilee, whatever. So they take good care of me. So um, if you're good, people are more likely to refer you. But you still have to be there. You can't just sit back and go, I'm waiting for a referral. You've got to call them up, let them know you're alive. So
2: re- really good salespeople balance those two.
3: Yeah, sure, sure.
2: All right, number two, you say, make it a game.
3: Make it a game. I saw a bumper sticker that said, don't take life so seriously, you're not getting out of it alive anyway. And uh, and I think the more serious you are about a sale, the more you need it, the more you want it, the more you have to have it, the more you don't get it. Uh, you're like a puppy at a buffet table. You're like a lonely guy trying to get a date. And the more you need the sale, you just don't get it and because we're so serious, I've got to get the sale, I have to use the proper language and dialogue. I got to do this. And we get all uptight about it. But I love asking salespeople this question. Uh, you know, what's the one time that you make sales that you don't want them? And I kind of wait for the audience to think it through. They go, when I go on holiday, when I go on vacation. Exactly. The days before you go on vacation, you... Can't get away from a customer, or sometimes you get a customer where you meet the customer, and you go, oh my gosh, I don't want to deal with this guy, and then the guy says, well, the price of your product's too high. So you know, it really is. You know, the product, yeah, it really is a high price product, but we appreciate you coming. in. Yeah, but I heard it was the best. Well, yeah, it's the best. Would you cut your price? No, no, no. We we don't discount any of this stuff. Well, okay. Well, I guess I'll take it. Really, today <laughs> you can't get away from them, and you're trying to get out of out of the office on vacation. Now they want to buy. They want a presentation. And the the fact that you're, what's happening in these situations isn't specifically the vacation of the bad customer. What's happening is you are letting go. Deepak Chopra from India. Uh, love his books and seminars, and one of the things he says is, if I want to be successful in your life, what you need to do is place your intention and attention upon your goals. But then you must let go of your attachment to the outcome, for it is the attachment that keeps you from getting it. So let go. So next time somebody comes along and says, well, can I buy this product? Can I come in low? Well, you could come in low, but not into this product. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> And it's easier to teach than it is to do. And I think the way to learn to let go of the outcome to create more Income is to pick a practice customer. Uh, just pick a practice customer. You say, you know, I'm going to try some of this stuff I heard on the radio on this customer. I'm just going to, I'm not going to cut my price. I'm not going to cut my commission. Uh, I'm going to do a good job. Now, I'm not saying be bad. I'm saying, in fact, be better than you've ever been. But let go of what happens. If they buy, they buy. If they don't, they don't. You, it's a practice buyer. It's a practice customer. And, uh, just, you know, Jay Leno goes, the comedians do it. You know, they go to these small stand-up places and they'll unload 20 jokes, 30 jokes, and they'll throw out 28 of them, pick the two that worked and they'll use them in the show. And I think that you've got to have the attitude of letting go and, and treating it more as a game. Don't force the sale, let it come to you. Yeah, so it, treating it as a game makes it a lot easier. Plus people like it. <laughs> I lady I used to date worked for, uh, Well, it was northwest, now Delta. And she was going down the the aisle, and and she was telling me the story about this business executive. She said, excuse me, miss, 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 yes, yes, how can I help you? This sandwich is really bad. And she picked it up, put it on her hand, shook her finger and said, bad sandwich, bad sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) And the guy looked up at her and uh, just couldn't believe it as she walked away. So having some fun on sale. So maybe that's the summary. Have some fun. Lighten up. Just not that serious. And
2: people can people can tell when you're relaxed with what you're doing and when you're tense with what you're doing. Correct?
3: Oh gosh, they can pick up on that. It, yeah, absolutely. Pick it All up right, right,
2: we away. have we got about four minutes before we go to break. So let's see if we can get one more in.
3: Okay, have yeah, a, I could do another. One. Have a system for follow up. Yep. Uh, making the first call is not how you make money in in uh, sales. The first call is just the start. It's usually the second, third, fourth, and fifth. And there was a study shown, and I can actually apply this a couple ways that. Um, of salespeople stop following up after the fourth contact. And when we first hear that number, you go, well, heck, yeah. I mean, how many times do you want to ask somebody and have a no before you finally say, all right, I get the point, I get the point? Well, then the next question was, well, how many customers say no or not interested or not now? How many of them say that four times and then ultimately say yes? This was a study done by Notre Dame, and they discovered that 60% of customers will say no four times and then say yes. So what happens is the 8% of the people who follow up religiously are going to get 60% of the sales. Now, following up, Requires a system, a database management CRM, where you can put in next call, last call, and every time I, you know, I'm selling them my subscriptions, I put in, uh, you know, t- today is today I talked to him, all the notes, what did he or she say, have a chat, and I go up to my next call field and I go, oh, when should I contact this person again? Sometimes they tell you, sometimes they don't. Put in next call, boom move into the next record. And then every time I open the contact, I click on a button that sorts my next call and I go, here are the people that I need to talk to next and uh, and have a system for doing that. Uh, some people like time blocking where, you know, there's certain one, two, three hour sections of a day or an afternoon where they're going to do prospecting here. They're going to do follow-up here. They're going to do paperwork there. Um, there's so many different listeners here, I'm sure, but uh, to the degree that you can build in, and this is where discipline comes in, knowing you know, Monday morning's follow-up, Tuesday afternoon, new calls. I don't know, I'm making stuff up now, but you've got to reach it out, figure it out. Uh, Larry Keck, this top Mercedes salesman, I said, you know, so if 90% of your business is uh, you know, your own stuff. How do you do it? And he says, well, I have a database of everyone to whom I've ever sold or leased a car. And he says, I know the dates that they did it. And I know when their lease expires. So all I do is go in and when they're six months away from their lease expiring, that's the easy one, or maybe six months away from a three-year ownership. He says, those are the people I talk to. He says, I get on the phone, say, Hey, your lease can expire in six months. You know, you're ready for a new car. And, uh, he is the top Mercedes salesperson in Minnesota, if uh, maybe the country. I don't know, but um, taking the initiative and following up. Do we have time for uh, another one?
2: Well, we got about one one minute, so why don't we we pause here and then we'll come back and we've got one more section and we will cover the rest of these. Okay. So don't go anywhere. We're going to come back with David and let him continue to impart the wisdom that he's imparting. I hope you understand the depth of what he's talking about, because selling is should not be a job. It should be your career and your passion, and that which you know you can bring value to people because of your presence. So stay right there, and we'll come back with David.
4: Behavior never lies. Think about it. You can't argue with it. Can't dispute it. Can't ignore it. You know it's absolute truth. And it applies to every person living on the planet. Behavior Never Lies.
1: Written by the grassroots expert on human behavior himself. His name is Richard Flint. In this book, Richard gives you his insight into why this number one Flint philosophy is so important for all of us to understand. It's the book that won't let you off the hook.
4: Because what Richard's saying is that if your words don't match your behavior... Sorry, you're out of the game. Behavior never lies. Listen, if you're brave enough, get the book and read it. Go to richardflint.com, or we really recommend you give Denise a call at 1-800-368-8255.
1: Oh, and just for your information, if you really don't like to read that much, ask Denise about the audio excerpt version on Flash Drive. Behavior
0: never lies.
4: Isn't it about time you invited Richard Flint into your life?
0: Last month was about family and it couldn't have been a better topic every day where there was something that I was able to take and work on with my family. Sometimes
4: I just kind of think about what it says and then I realize it really does have something to do with my life every morning of every day. We love the morning minute. It's just a blessing to our lives to be able to give
1: us a great thought to hang on to all day long. Just the morning minute for us it just kind of sets the day for us. That's where we really like it. The Richard Flint Morning Minute in your email inbox every single Morning. You can try it for 21 days absolutely free. The Richard Flint Morning Minute could make your day. Call toll free 1 800 368 8255 or go to www.richardflint.com and get the Morning Minute.
2: Hey, welcome back. And welcome back to our guest, David Knox. And we're talking about the world of selling. And uh, David's sharing with us his 10 top tips for selling. And we just talked about, you know, have a system of follow-up. The next one you have here is time-based questioning.
3: Yes. most important type of question to ask a customer is not the closed question just says, do you want to buy? Now, that's a good closing question, but uh, we'll have real estate agents say, so are you are you folks planning on moving soon? No. Are you planning on moving long? No. Are you going to buy now? No. And they get these stupid <laughs> questions, stupid answers, when in fact – A better question would be, how much longer do you plan to stay in your home? Oh, you know, three years, two years, one month. Uh, How soon do you... So instead of do you plan to buy, make it an open question, how soon do you plan to buy? When do you plan on considering this? So all customers or you know, prospecting questions should be time-based. When are you planning on making the move? When are you planning on installing this product? How much longer do you think your current situation will last? Time, 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 time. And then in your database, when you do follow-up, you know... When they're ready to do it. So, when I talk to clients about a seminar, I might say, you know, well, simple question. When is your next event? How often do you conduct events? Well, four times a year. When is your next one? So, it's got to be time based. I was selling a motorcycle once and I spent about a half an hour showing it to this guy. And uh, I was looking at my watch. I had to get out of here. And finally, I turned to the guy and said, by the way, how soon are you planning on buying a motorcycle? He says, oh, next couple of years. (laughs) Gosh, (laughs) you teach this stuff, maybe you could use it. (laughs) Uh, The next technique is to get to the why, not the what. Most salespeople find out, what do you want to buy? And we'll get the specifications, and they want this, and they want that, and this is the size, and this is this, and that, and the other thing. And the more important question is, well, why do you want it? Because then it gets into the motivation. Um, you know, I was one of my employees was talking about buying a new uh, – Um, Macintosh computer, I forgot which brand, the one that's built in the flat screen. And, um, you know, he started telling me about the features and the benefits and the clock speed and all this stuff. And, you know, I'm a Mac guy, so I, and I just said, well, you know, I don't really need to do this. He's trying to sell me on the computer. And I said, well, why are we doing this at all? I said, well, Ryan, our video editor is having to use two computers to do all the rendering of our motion graphics. And it's taken us a lot of time. And I said, well, um, okay, well then, you know, let's get it i didn't need to be sold on the features and benefits of the product i was buying something totally the concept of the computer for me was making sure our guy could get through all of our projects quicker so there was a quasi connection to the computer itself so be careful when you're selling your product it may not be the specific product it might be that the purchaser of the product wants to look good to the boss by solving some other problem with the product but um but anytime somebody tells you what they want, find out why. And, of course, sometimes the word why can be confrontive, so it might be easier to say, tell me how you're going to use that, what, how will you benefit from this, tell me more, and just listening for the why. You know, when you, when you ask my mother why she wanted, or we both bought reserve properties, and you ask me, why do you want two bedrooms? And I said, because I like friends to come and visit, and it's a real social thing to have them spend the night with us and wake up in the morning. My mother only wants one bedroom, which big deal. You ask my mother, why do you only want one bedroom? She says, because all my friends come down to visit me in Florida, and I don't want them staying with me because she wants privacy. So for me, the answer got to the why social. For her, it got to privacy. So listen for the why.
2: Hey, David. <laughs> then, David, yes. do you think that when you get to the why, you, you're really working with people from their mind down rather than their emotions up?
3: Well, the whole point of the why is to get them out of their head, because you can't sell to people's head. You can only sell to their heart, and uh, sell to their heart and close on their mind. Okay. You know, get them emotionally vested in the product so they want it, so they feel some desire to want to buy it, but then their head's going to come in, and it's just a stupid, you shouldn't really be doing this, and then give them all the logical stuff so, the, so their head will let their heart buy.
2: So is selling working from the emotions up?
3: Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh the good salespeople do working from the head down doesn't work. I mean you'll never see a jewelry store with the prices up. You know, you go to a jewelry store, they got those things under three LED bright lights showing all the facets laying on a white glove marble felt table, gently brought out and presented to you as though it's an egg of a living dinosaur. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and they want you to feel that and they gently lift it up in their white gloves and they put it on your bride and they hook it around her neck and put a mirror up there that go, Well this is a seventeen point three carat with a you know, they're not know <laughs> yeah, that that doesn't work. You know, they're not gonna tell a sell a car by, you know, here's a zero sixty horsepower, all that stuff. They talk about it, but when you get it hit the gas pedal and it stomps you back, it's all feeling. It's all feeling now our next you then justify it logically.
2: All right, our next one, NFB.
3: Need feature benefit. Um way to, to kick this off, is if you've ever seen it, oh, there's a billion commercials, but you watch a commercial, you'll see NFB, Need, Feature, Benefit. Uh, the one that comes to mind is Scope Mouthwash. The first scene is a husband and wife wake up in the morning, and he goes to kiss his wife good morning, and she goes, oh, God, get away from me, because he's got horrible bad breath. That's the Need. Uh, F, feature, Scope, in the new 16-ounce bottle available today at your Walgreens store. Benefit, you see them, you know, getting up after a cup of coffee and putting their arms around each other and getting his morning kiss. Need, Feature, Benefit. Um, selling mouthwash based on how many milliliters it is and how much percentage of alcohol is not what you sell. You sell the benefit is that if your breath is clean, uh, you're going to get a nice kiss from your spouse. So... If you look at every commercial on TV today, the good ones will always sell some kind of emotional connection. So when you are presenting to your customer and client, step one is to summarize the need. You know, Mr. Customer, you told me you know throughout today that the problems you're having and the issues you're facing and the things that are going on here are as follows. Do I understand you correctly? Great. Let me tell you about our product, and, and I'll see whether you think it solves your need. Our product is this, 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 and that. Let me tell you about it. So the benefit to you is and then you describe how your product sells it. And by the way, NFB, Need Feature Benefit Selling, is older than probably any human being on this uh, radio interview right now. That's how selling is done.
2: All right. What about pay attention?
3: Pay attention. Uh, how do you know how you're doing in a sales presentation? You know, sometimes uh, salespeople say, well, I don't know. I don't know. if." It... How did your sales presentation go? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, did they like it? Did they not like it? I don't know. Well, what they're missing was paying attention. And... Top salespeople have what I call a reference point. Uh, they pay attention to CCC, Customer Content Clock. This is the truest you and I as speakers. You know, when we're on stage, we got a, a reference point CCC. See the customer as the audience. You look out on audience. Richard, can you tell when you, when you said something that didn't work or something that did?
2: Oh, absolutely.
3: Yeah, you look out there, and you look at them, and if you're not looking at them, bad speakers, don't even see it. You know, they say, hey, do you see the audience response to you? And they go, audience, I don't know, did they like me? <laughs> 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 weren't, you, weren't you watching? Did you see them get out and leave, you know, ask for their money back? And I remember as a new speaker that happened, and I completely missed it. So the first step is to pay attention to your customer. Look in their eyes, look at their body. If you're on a telephone, obviously you've got to really, really that's really difficult. You've got to listen to their voice, their speech pace. How are you doing? Are they Do they like you? Or or not. This is true in dating, you know. Um I think it was Oprah, There's some book that says, you know, she's just not that into you. <laughs> and when you're with a customer and you go, oh, I don't think this guy's into me, you're almost better stopping and go, you know, Mr. S- customer, I sense right now that, that my product has no interest to you. Is that right? And they go, yeah, really no interest. You know, we just don't want that. Well, great. So pay attention to the customer so you'll know when to close. C is content. That's your sales presentation. Yeah, as we're seminar speakers, I've got to look at my, <clears throat> my notes or slides or whatever, and I've got some stuff to get through, like right now. I'm looking at my piece of paper, these ten things, and I'm looking at um, I'm looking at the content. I'm also looking. I set a stopwatch. We're at eight minutes, nineteen seconds on a 16 second deal. So I I'm watching all three of these. The problem I have, I can't really read the people who are listening right now. I can try to imagine them, but that's one of the problems with the radio. I have no clue how people are receiving this, so maybe they'll email me, david at com. So pay attention to the reference points. Watch for buying signals. <clears throat> Watch for objections. Pay attention. Pay attention to your marriage. Pay attention to your children. See how you're doing. You know, I've heard people say, hey, how's your marriage doing? Well, she hasn't left me yet. <laughs> you know. Pay attention. We have time for the next one. Yeah, ACT. Let's go. ACT, A-C-T, Assertive Closing Techniques. The only way you're going to get somebody to buy is to ask the order. Occasionally, people say, you know what? I'd like to buy this. Really? Well, I'm not done with a sales presentation yet. You can't buy it. But ask for the order. I remember I was standing at a booth, and people were looking at my product. And they keep asking, and, and I kept presenting features and benefits. And then I thought, wait a minute. I'm in sales. What are you supposed to do? So I just turned to them and said, would you like to buy And they go, yeah. And I went, <laughs> "Sometimes it is. sometimes it is that easy. So... It may not be the most elegant way to close, but to all of you listening, you know, when you get to the point you've paid attention, they seem to be in the additive, except just say, would you like to purchase? Would you like to buy it? Would you like to own it? It doesn't have to be cute and clever in the old 1950s alternative choice. Would you like to buy it today or would this afternoon be better? You can just say, would you like to buy it? And then and then be quiet. And by the way, kids are good closers. If your child comes up to you and says, hey, Daddy, can we go to Disneyland? And you go, maybe. They'll go, is that a maybe yes or a maybe no? Which leads to my next point on assertive closing techniques. Get a yes, get a no, but don't take a maybe. A no is fine. At least you know you're not going to get the sale, and you can get out of there and go take your bride to a movie. Uh, get a yes, get a no, but don't take maybes for an answer. And back to my concept before, of people stop closing after four. 60% of people are likely to say yes after the fourth. So close and ask for the order. What about paid? Paid, P-A-I-D. If you remember how to spell the word paid, you will know how to deal with an objection. It stands for pause, acknowledge, isolate, discover. P-A-I-D, pause, acknowledge isolate, discover. When somebody raises an objection, typically what we do, they'll say, you're, you know, we really like your product, but you're higher priced than the other people. Well, the reason price is not because we're really better, and really good, and how much money are you going to spend on the product anyway? And we really do this because we want to take your good of our customers. If you're going to to the cheap product and cheap service, you're going to get what you pay for, and you're really stupid for buying something that's cheap. <laughs> you know, we tend to beat the people up. And instead, I would say, pause. Somebody says, gosh, your price is really high. You just go, uh-huh, um, okay you don't agree or disagree, but then you do the A, the acknowledge. So, okay, so price, it sounds like our price is an issue for you. You acknowledge and you pause a little bit more. And if you pause long enough, they go, well, yeah, it is. You are higher, but no, I don't know. But then again, you know, we really do like doing business with you. So I guess we'll go ahead. Sometimes by just doing nothing, the objection will go away. So at least give it a chance. Then I is isolate. Before you overcome some objection for a customer, make sure it's it's either the only, get them all out there. So they say the price is too high. Uh-huh, sounds like our price is an issue. Let me ask you that, Mr. and Ms. Customer. Other than the price, how do you feel about our product? Well, we're really not ready to buy yet. Other than the price and the timing, how do you feel about it? Well, we really, you know, what happens is at some point you realize you don't even have a sale in the making yet. But if they come back and they say, well, price is our only issue, then say, great. So in other words, if you and I... I I would agree on a price, and we'd be, okay, great. And then the D is discover, which is question. Now, why is price an issue for you? Sounds like a dumb question, but they'll go, well, I don't know, because we want to save money. Well, but saving money can be done short-term or long-term. By buying a less expensive product, you could save money in the short-term, but if it doesn't work, you might lose it in the long-term. And then you can go into your value proposition. And I'm going to give you an exercise right now. I'm glad we can get to this, because I don't want to leave it off. Um, I'd like everybody listening right now to think of the last car you bought. You may have done it this week, for all I know, but I want you to think of the last car you bought. In fact, Richard, I'll do this with you, too. How long, how long ago was the last car you bought? Four months. Four months. Okay. To all of you listening, here's my question. At the time that you were looking at this car, were you looking at other vehicles as well? Yes, you were. Were any of them less expensive than the car you bought?
2: Uh, yes.
3: Yes. So you paid more for this car than another option, correct? Correct. Why?
2: Because to me, the value of the car that I, I bought, um, I like the value, I like the, the amenities to the car, and uh, for me, it it said who I was.
3: Okay. So... The bottom line is customers will pay more money for a product or service if they can be shown that it has more value. So remember all of this. You can actually use this with a customer. You know, you choose a customer and say, what kind of car do you own? Uh, How much, you know, when did you buy it? Were there less expensive options available? Why'd you pay more? And then here's the coup de grace. Here's my favorite question in selling value, my absolute favorite question. And I'm probably going to wrap up with this one. You're dealing with a the customer. They're talking about buying from a lower price competitor. The question I would ask is, Mr. Customer, let me ask you this. If our prices were the same, who would you purchase from now? And I'm going to hope that they'll say, well, we would buy from you. If they say they'd still buy from the other person, you should get out. You're more expensive and less desirable. But chances are they'll say, well, if the prices were the same, we'd go with you. And you go, Why? And they'll say, well, because we like your service, we like the quality, we we'll like your, you know, your online follow-up process, we like this, we like that. You say, you know, so you just identified four major differences between our product and theirs. Do you now see why our price is a little bit higher? My wife worked for Cambria Quartz Countertop. I always used business to silestone, and I taught her that. And people come in, yeah, we want to buy silestone. And say, you know what, if, C- if silestone and Cambria were the same price, who would you go with? Oh, we'd go with Cambria. Oh, you would. Why? Oh, we love the colors. We like the smooth finish. We like that you don't have to hermetically seal it because it's already sealed. We like the fact that it's American-made product. We like the fact that it's cut right here in the desert. And go, so, well, you just identified five major reasons why you would prefer to have Cambria in your kitchen than some other brand. And now they still may not pay it, but at least they have to acknowledge they're buying a less expensive brand. So those are my 10 tips, and uh, nine was paid and 10 was value.
2: Okay, if someone wanted to reach out to you, David, they had a question for you, or they wanted to visit your website, where would they go?
3: Uh, DavidKnox.com. And uh, as you go there, you'll see, you know, a lot of the stuff we post on there primarily for real estate audiences, but uh, we also do seminars for other people, so davidknocks.com or david at davidknocks.com to email me. And uh, phone number is 952-835-4477. Again, 952-835-4477. And actually, our website does have our address and phone number. Most websites don't. Talk about being good versus there. You go to some of these places, you can't call them. Maybe I'll close with that. When somebody calls you, answer the phone. There's a new sales technique. Answer the phone because nobody does.
2: Hey, David, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing it. And, folks, I think you can see why I consider him one of the top sales minds that is out there today. And I appreciate him giving his his time today. Next week, next Thursday, we're going to be right back here. And I invite you to come join us. And you know I'd like to hear from you, Uh, Richard at richardflint.com. Our website, richardflint.com. Real simple. Until next Thursday, until we have our next time together, have a good week, and remember, you are exactly in your life where you want to be. Any questions? Call our people at Richard Flint Productions, 1-800-368-8255.
1: 1-800-368-8255 or visit us at www.richardflint.com
0: and thanks for listening thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel